0: This is chapter twenty two of Sketches New and Old. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sketches New and Old by Mark Twain. Chapter twenty two. Some Learned Fables for Good Old Boys and Girls. Part Second. How the Animals of the Wood Completed Their Scientific Labors. A week later, the expedition camped in the midst of a collection of wonderful curiosities. These were a sort of vast caverns of stone that rose singly, and in bunches, out of the plain, by the side of the river, which they had first seen when they emerged from the forest. These caverns stood in long, straight rows on opposite sides of broad aisles that were bordered with single ranks of trees. The summit of each cavern sloped sharply both ways. Several horizontal rows of great square holes, obstructed by a thin, shiny, transparent substance, pierced the frontage of each cavern. Inside were caverns within caverns, and one might ascend and visit these minor compartments by means of curious winding ways, consisting of continuous regular terraces, raised one above another there were many huge shapeless objects in each compartment which were considered to have been living creatures at one time though now the thin brown skin was shrunken and loose and rattled when disturbed spiders were here in great number and their cobwebs stretched in all directions and wreathing the great skinny dead together were a pleasant spectacle since they inspired with life and wholesome cheer a scene which would otherwise have brought to the mind only a sense of forsakenness and desolation information was sought of these spiders but in vain they were of a different nationality from those with the expedition and their language seemed but a musical meaningless jargon they were a timid gentle race but ignorant and heathenish worshippers of unknown gods The expedition detailed a great detachment of missionaries to teach them the true religion, and in a week's time a precious work had been wrought among those darkened creatures, not three families being by that time at peace with each other or having a settled belief in any system of religion whatever. This encouraged the expedition to establish a colony of missionaries there permanently, that the work of grace might go on. But let us not outrun our narrative after close examination of the fronts of the caverns and much thinking and exchanging of theories the scientists determined the nature of these singular formations they said that each belonged mainly to the old red sandstone period that the cavern fronts rose in innumerable and wonderfully regular strata high in the air each stratum about five frog spans thick and that in the present discovery lay an overpowering refutation of all received geology. For between every two layers of old red sandstone reposed a thin layer of decomposed limestone, so instead of there having been but one old red sandstone period, there had certainly been not less than a hundred and seventy-five. And by the same token it was plain— that there had also been a hundred and seventy-five floodings of the earth and depositings of limestone strata the unavoidable deduction from which pair of facts was the overwhelming truth that the world instead of being only two hundred thousand years old was older by millions upon millions of years and there was another curious thing every stratum of old red sandstone was pierced and divided at mathematically regular intervals by vertical strata of limestone. Upshootings of igneous rock through fractures in water formations were common, but here was the first instance where water-formed rock had been so projected. It was a great and noble discovery, and its value to science was considered to be inestimable. A critical examination of some of the lower strata demonstrated the presence of fossil ants and tumblebugs, the latter accompanied by their peculiar goods and with high gratification the fact was enrolled upon the scientific record. For this was proof that these vulgar laborers belonged to the first and lowest orders of created beings, though at the same time there was something repulsive in the reflection that the perfect and exquisite creature of the modern uppermost order owed its origin to such ignominious beings through the mysterious law of development of species. The tumble-bug, overhearing this discussion, said he was willing that the parvenu of these new times should find what comfort they might in their wise-drawn theories, since, as far as he was concerned, he was content to be of the old first families, and proud to point back to his place among the old original aristocracy of the land. "'Enjoy your mushroom dignity!' stinking of the varnish of yesterday's veneering since you like it said he suffice it for the tumble-bugs that they come of a race that rolled their fragrant spheres down the solemn aisles of antiquity and left their imperishable works embalmed in the old red sandstone to proclaim it to the wasting centuries as they file along the highway of time oh take a walk said the chief of the expedition with derision The summer passed, and winter approached. In and about many of the caverns were what seemed to be inscriptions. Most of the scientists said they were inscriptions, a few said they were not. The chief philologist, Professor Woodlouse, maintained that they were writings, done in a character utterly unknown to scholars, and in a language equally unknown. He had early ordered his artists and draughtsmen to make facsimiles of all that were discovered, and had set himself about finding the key to the hidden tongue. In this work he had followed the method which had always been used by decipherers previously. That is to say, he placed a number of copies of inscriptions before him, and studied them both collectively and in detail. To begin with, he placed the following copies together. The American Hotel. Meals at all hours. The Shades. No smoking. Boats for hire cheap. Union prayer meeting, 4 p.m. Billiards. The Waterside Journal. The A-1 barber Shop, Telegraph Office. Keep off the grass. Try Branthrus Pills. Cottages for rent during the watering season. For sale, for sale cheap. For sale cheap. For sale cheap. For sale cheap. At first it seemed to the professor that this was a sign language, and that each word was represented by a distinct sign Further examination convinced him that it was a written language, and that every letter of its alphabet was represented by a character of its own. And finally he decided that it was a language which conveyed itself partly by letters, and partly by signs or hieroglyphics. This conclusion was forced upon him by the discovery of several specimens of the following nature. He observed that certain inscriptions were met with in greater frequency than others, such as, "'For sale cheap,' billiards. S.T. 1860. X. Kino. Ale on draught. Naturally, then, these must be religious maxims, but this idea was cast aside by and by, as the mystery of the strange alphabet began to clear itself. In time the professor was enabled to translate several of the inscriptions with considerable plausibility, though not to the perfect satisfaction of all the scholars. Still, he made constant and encouraging progress. Finally, a cavern was discovered with these inscriptions upon it. "'Waterside Museum. Open at all hours. Admission, fifty cents. Wonderful collection of waxworks, ancient fossils, etc.' Professor Woodlouse affirmed that the word museum was equivalent to the phrase "lumgath molo" or burial place. Upon entering, the scientists were well astonished." what they saw may be best conveyed in the language of their own official report. Erect, in a row, were a sort of rigid great figures which struck us instantly as belonging to the long-extinct species of reptile called man, described in our ancient records. This was a peculiarly gratifying discovery, because of late times it has become fashionable to regard this creature as a myth and a superstition a work of the inventive imaginations of our remote ancestors but here indeed was man perfectly preserved in a fossil state and this was his burial-place as already ascertained by the inscription and now it began to be suspected that the caverns we had been inspecting had been his ancient haunts in that old time that he roamed the earth for upon the breast of each of these tall fossils was an inscription in the character heretofore noticed one read, "'Captain Kidd the Pirate,' another, "'Queen Victoria,' another, "'Abe Lincoln,' another, "'George Washington,' etc. With feverish interest, we called for our ancient scientific records, to discover if perchance the description of man there set down would tally with the fossils before us. Professor Woodlouse read it aloud in its quaint and musty phraseology, to wit, in ye time of our fathers man still walked ye earth as by tradition we know it was a creature of exceeding great size being compassed about with a loose skin sometimes of one color sometimes of many the which it was able to cast at will which being done the hind legs were discovered to be armed with short claws like to a mole's but broader and ye forelegs with fingers, of a curious slimness, and a length much more prodigious than a frog's, armed also with broad talons, for scratching in ye earth for its food. It had a sort of feathers upon its head, such as hath a rat, but longer, and a beak suitable for seeking its food by ye smell thereof. When it was stirred with happiness, it leaked water from its eyes, and when it suffered, or was sad, it manifested it with a horrible, hellish, cackling clamor that was exceedingly dreadful to hear, and made one long that it might rend itself and perish, and so end its troubles. Two mans being together, they uttered noises at each other like this, "Haw, haw, ho! damn good! damn good! together with other sounds of more or less likeness to these, wherefore ye poets conceived that they talked." but poets be always ready to catch at any frantic folly, God he knows. Sometimes this creature goeth about with a long stick ye which it putteth to its face, and bloweth fire and smoke through ye same with a sudden and most damnable breet and noise, that doth fright its prey to death, and so seizeth it in its talons, and walketh away to its habitat, consumed with a most fierce and devilish joy." Now was the description set forth by our ancestors, wonderfully endorsed and confirmed by the fossils before us, as shall be seen. The specimen marked Captain Kidd was examined in detail. Upon its head and part of its face was a sort of fur like that upon the tail of a horse. With great labor its loose skin was removed, whereupon its body was discovered to be of a polished white texture, thoroughly petrified the straw it had eaten so many ages gone by was still in its body undigested and even in its legs surrounding these fossils were objects that would mean nothing to the ignorant but to the eye of science they were a revelation they laid bare the secrets of dead ages these musty memorials told us when man lived and what were his habits for here side by side with man were the evidences that he had lived in the earliest ages of creation, the companion of the other low orders of life that belonged to that forgotten time. Here was the fossil Nautilus that sailed the primeval seas. Here was the skeleton of the mastodon, the ichthyosaurus, the cave-bear, the prodigious elk. Here, also, were the charred bones of some of these extinct animals, and of the young of man's own species, split lengthwise showing that, to his taste, the marrow was a toothsome luxury. It was plain that man had robbed those bones of their contents, since no tooth-mark of any beast was upon them, albeit the tumble-bug intruded the remark that no beast could mark a bone with its teeth anyway. Here were proofs that man had vague, grovelling notions of art, for this fact was conveyed by certain things marked with the untranslatable words flint-hatchets knives, arrow-heads, and bone ornaments of primeval man. Some of these seemed to be rude weapons chipped out of flint, and in a secret place was found some more in a process of construction, with this untranslatable legend, on a thin, flimsy material, lying by. Jones, if you don't want to be discharged from the museum, make the next primeval weapons more careful.' You couldn't even fool one of these sleepy old scientific grannies from the college with the last ones, and, mind you, the animals you carved on some of the bone ornaments is a blame-sight too good for any primeval man that was ever fooled. Varnum, manager. Back of the burial-place was a mass of ashes, showing that man always had a feast at a funeral. Else, why the ashes in such a place?' and showing also that he believed in god and the immortality of the soul else why these solemn ceremonies to sum up we believe that man had a written language we know that he indeed existed at one time and is not a myth also that he was the companion of the cave bear the mastodon and other extinct species that he cooked and ate them and likewise the young of his own kind also that he bore rude weapons, and knew something of art, that he imagined he had a soul, and pleased himself with a fancy that it was immortal. But let us not laugh. There may be creatures in existence to whom we, and our vanities and profundities, may seem as ludicrous. End of Part second. End of Chapter 22